Well, good morning. Let's, uh, let's open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. If you don't have one, we'll have the scripture references on the screen. And if you're here today uh, and you're visiting and you would like a Bible, uh, we have one as a gift to you. You can just pick one up in the tables uh, in the back of the room. We're in the second week of a sermon series entitled King of the Cosmos. And We're taking a slow walk through one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And today I have the joy and the privilege of preaching God's Word uh, today here at NBC Loudoun. Uh, Last week, our uh, lead pastor, David Platt, mentioned that each week this month, uh, we want to encourage our church family in our giving, in our biblical giving, particularly as we come to the end of the year. Uh, last week, we heard about our access ministry focused on individuals and, f- and families with special needs. And today, I want to spotlight one particular way, in a pretty obvious way, that your biblical giving has fueled the mission of God here at McLean Bible Church, specifically here in Loudoun. Now, most of you know that we meet in locations across the metro D.C., so people right now are gathered in Prince William County and Tyson's Corner, uh, Arlington, Montgomery County, Maryland, and here in Loudoun. And a few months ago... After 14 years of gathering for worship and ministry in Lansdowne, we moved as a church family. And for the past few months, we've been gathered here on a week-to-week basis at the Academies of Loudoun, a facility that we rent from Loudoun County Public Schools. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is just a display of God's goodness and His grace in our church family that we're able to gather in a facility uh, such as this. Uh, It's such an incredible gift of God. Um, We get here each Sunday morning and we set up. Uh, We get to to set up uh, for people to gather together for worship and for ministry. Jen Wittenberg, our director of operations, has begun to call the unload team the fun loaders. Get it? Uh, The fun loaders get here early in the morning and they set everything up so that we could gather in and worship the name that is above every name. Um, And so church family, uh, the reality is, is since we've moved here, we've had more people in worship, more people engaged in the ministries across our church family. And we just see this as a wonderful gift of God's grace that could not happen apart from biblical giving, from sacrificial, uh, uh, sacrificial, generous giving uh, from his, uh, from his people. So let's just stop and recognize this is God's gift of grace, um, and it doesn't happen apart from the giving of God's people. Uh, and so what I want to do is just invite us to consider what might God be leading you specifically towards the end of this year? As we come to the end of 2022, how is he leading you to give above your regular tithes and offerings? Um, I want to, I want to just Acknowledge that if this is your church family, regular, uh, generous, uh, sacrificial giving should be an act of worship that you participate in on a regular basis. Uh, But above and beyond that, this month, we're calling our entire McLean Bible Church family to consider what God might be leading you to do uh, at the end of this year. So I just want to invite you to consider what God might be doing. And in a season that is infamous for consumerism and indulgence, can we as followers of Jesus just swim against that current? Could we just swim against that current and and give out of the generosity, the overflow of God's grace in our life? So let's pray together toward that end. God, we pause before we dive into your word 
this morning, and uh, we recognize that we are living our short, brief life in an area of the world and in a time of history that is drenched in consumerism. We're told that if we consume more, we'll be happy. We live in a land of overindulgence. We have so much, yet our heart still wants more and more. And one of your means of grace in our life to break us free from the the bondage that we just spoke of is to give generously and sacrificially, to give in a way that reflects your generosity in our life, that reflects your sacrificial love for us. So we pause right now as a church family, we pause as individuals, and we just ask that you would lead us. Spirit of God, we submit to your leading in this area, and we want you to be glorified, and we want to look more like Jesus as a result of us hearing from you and obeying you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. This is the word of God. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you ever find Christianity hard to believe? I know that probably wasn't what you were expecting coming out of that. But could we just be honest this morning? rigorously honest and acknowledge that there are some hard to believe truth claims in Christianity. And Christmas presents one of the most difficult truth claims to believe. It's not hard if you're just given a head nod or if you're being intellectually lazy, but if you slow down and consider the virgin birth, the Christmas message of the incarnation, the biological anomaly, the theological mystery, we will have to admit this is hard to believe. This is hard to believe. I mean, the more you think about it, the more shocking it gets. God became a man. The divine son, eternally and infinitely glorious, all-powerful, the very one who spoke this universe into existence by his words. And since that moment has sustained this universe, that God became a Jewish baby, a helpless human baby. Like somebody had to teach him his first word. A Jewish teenage girl had to continually clean his bottom. And I'm not saying that for effect or to be crude, but to remind us how unlikely this story is. A Jewish teenage girl had to carefully support the back of his neck so that his head wouldn't flail and flop around 
we're talking about God became a little baby. I mean, the more you think about it, the harder it is to believe. And the only way I know to kind of illustrate this point is to acknowledge when you're watching a movie and the plot line gets so far-fetched, it's hard to stay locked in, is it not? Now, I'm about to offend a few of you here, but let's think about Top Gun 2, for example. <laughs> okay? Just based on the numbers, every one of us has seen this movie, and some of us multiple times. Now, I'm locked in to this storyline until Maverick ejects out of his fighter plane, lands, and takes running across a snowy plane while a helicopter is unloading a machine gun onto him. I just said, I'm like, this is too far-fetched. Fighter pilots don't eject out of their fighter plane and then sprint across a snowy field while a helicopter's, you know, unloading on them. This just doesn't happen. It's too far-fetched. Can I just say, it's not as far-fetched as God becoming a man. God becoming a man. And this is a stumbling block for many in Loudoun County and many around the world. God became a man. And just think with me, nearly two billion Muslims do not find it too hard to believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. They don't find it too hard to believe that Jesus performed miracles. Over nearly two billion Muslims don't find it too hard to believe that Jesus one day will return and judge the world, but they find it too hard to believe that God became a man. A good friend of mine, a Muslim friend of mine, one day called me and he told me that he had just gone to the Grand Mosque in Mecca, Saudi Arabia. This is a picture of the Grand Mosque and he got up on the third deck, the highest deck, and he stood up there and he prayed to Allah that I would become a Muslim. And he said, Britain, you would be a really good Muslim. And I agree with him, okay? That's for another sermon. <laughs> but if you ask my friend, why would you do this? This is what he would tell you. Because I care for Britain. And he's blasphemous. He believes God became a man. Does, he deserves the judgment of God for believing this. This is, this is a stumbling block for many. The incarnation, the truth claim that God became a man is a stumbling block for billions of people around the world, but not just around the world, here in Loudoun County. Your neighbors, your coworkers, some of your, fam some of your family members, maybe even some of you here today think this is too hard for me to believe. This is too hard for me to believe. And if we're gonna be intellectually honest today, we have to admit it is hard to believe. But if it's true, it changes everything. If it's true, it's the greatest truth. It's a truth that puts the rest of life into perspective. It's a truth that opens up and paves a way to eternal life. God became a man. The staggering claim of Christianity is that Jesus of Nazareth was God who was made a man. He took on humanity without losing his deity. 
That's, he was truly and fully divine as he was human. So today I wanna focus on the greatest mystery, the incarnation. God became a man. And I wanna consider what it is, then I wanna think about why is it, and then I wanna finish on what it means for us. So what is it? God becoming a man creates a perplexing mystery. And we started seeing this last week in Philippians 2. On that first Christmas, the child, the baby that was born on that first Christmas was God. He was God. And I'm not going to repeat Pastor David's sermon from last week. If you didn't hear it, I strongly urge you to go back and listen to that sermon. But Philippians 2 verse 6, in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus of Nazareth was born on that first Christmas and that child was God. This is a stunning reality that Jesus, this baby in a manger was in the form of God, that he was equal with God, that he is God. To be more precise, he's the son of God. Or another way to say that is he is God the son, the son. In one of the gospel accounts written by the apostle John, he makes sure that his readers understand the absolute uniqueness of this person. He was the only begotten, the only son of God. We saw this last week, John chapter one, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. There it is, the only son. John 3.16, a very well-known verse in, in the third chapter of the Gospel of John. For God so loved the world that he gave what? His only son. His only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.18, a few verses later. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. The only son of God. So all of the Godhead dwells in Christ. Think about it. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus is forgiving sin. Only God can do that. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus is saying, I'm going to return. I'm going to come back and judge the world. Only God can do this. At one point in time, Jesus claims the very name of God. He says, before Abraham was, I am. He takes the name of God and over and over again, this Jewish man clearly communicates and demonstrates, I am God. I'm God. And thousands of his Jewish followers come to worship him, a man as God. Not Eastern religious adherents. Not people who had the spiritual understanding that God is in here and God is there and God is everywhere. We're talking about Jewish men and women looked at Jesus, a man, and worshiped him as God. And we see this as deeply problematic in that culture. We see it in John chapter 5, verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. They wanted to kill Jesus. Why? Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling his own father, calling God his own father, making himself 
equal with God. You see that? The same teaching we received last week, Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was in the form of God. He was equal with God. He is God. Listen, Jesus Christ, by his life, by his miracles, by his claims, by his resurrections, convinced his closest followers that he wasn't just a prophet sent to tell us how to find God, but that he was God who had come to find us. And this is the divergent point of every other religion in the world. Every other religion is started by a religious teacher or religious prophet that says, I'm here to tell you how you can find God. Only Christianity says Jesus Christ is God who has come to find you. So this child was God. And hear me, on that first Christmas, God was this child. And we come to the verse for, our, for the day, Philippians chapter 2, verses 7. In the beginning of verse 8, it says, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. God took on human form. And that he did it, and how he did it, is critically important for you and me to consider today. Because the implications are so significant for each of our lives. Whether you're exploring the truth claims of Christianity or you are a longtime committed follower of Jesus, we all need to slow down in the busyness of this season and consider God took on human flesh. That he did it. Now listen, there are entire libraries written about this topic. And I'm gonna try to explain it briefly here, so lock in with me, because this is really important. Some have wrongly said that the Son of God had to renounce some of his divine qualities. But they lock into the word, they zero in onto the word there in verse seven. He emptied himself, the so-called kenosis theory, the kenosis being the Greek word uh, for emptying. And they say in order for the son to be fully human, he had to empty himself or renounce some of his divine qualities. Some have said that, that he had to put aside qualities like all-powerfulness or the all-knowingness, but he retained some other like moral divine attributes like justice and holiness and truthfulness and love. And the problem with that is many things, but one thing, it puts all the weight on the word emptied without allowing the rest of the verse to explain what does it mean that he emptied himself. He emptied himself, he says, by taking the form of a servant. He emptied himself not by renouncing his divine qualities, but by adding, by taking on something. He never took off his divinity. He took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He wasn't reduced of his divine qualities, but he did restrain his divine capacities. And we see this in the gospel accounts, do we not? Yes, it is true that at times his knowledge of things, both human and divine, are limited, right? Somebody touches him and what does he say? Who just touched me? He, 
he looks at a little boy and he asks, how many loaves of bread do you have? He doesn't know the appointed day of his return, but at the same time, does he not display supernatural knowledge, like knowledge that only God has? He knows what people are thinking. He knows what's in their heart. He knows the shady past of the Samaritan woman at the well. He's well aware of these things. So what Philippians 2 is teaching and what we see throughout the gospel accounts is not that Jesus was reduced of his divine qualities, but he humbly restrains his divine capacities. God was born a child, and that is important. If we're going to say that Jesus can save us from our sins, he had to be fully God and fully man. Why is it so important? Because listen, very, very important. Jesus had to be God to satisfy the wrath of God to our sin. He had to be able to secure true righteousness from God on our behalf. And if he wasn't God, we're in bad shape. But he had to be a man so that he could identify with us, that he could suffer in our place, that we could have a representative that he could sympathize with us in our weaknesses. He did it. God took on the form of man. Now, how did he do it? How did he do it? Well, during the days of the great Roman Empire, outside of of a small hotel in an obscure Jewish village, God took on human form. That's stunning to think about especially when you think about the details. That hotel was was full and no one would offer a teenage woman who is in labor their room. And so she had to go borrow a cattle trough to cradle her baby. She gave birth in a stable. Can you imagine the cruelty of the scene? Can you imagine the callousness of the scene? And it's in that scene that God takes on human form. He was born a man, not God minus his deity, but God plus humanity. And in that moment, God took on a human body. And it wasn't like a robo body that was like, you know, off the charts, he could do no, this like a real human body. Like after the long day of work, he was weary. And his joints hurt. Like he was, he was struggling with back. Like this is not like some fairy tale. This is real life. Jesus had a real human body. When you hit him, he bruised. When you cut him, he bled. He took on a human body. He took on a human mind. He had to learn to eat. He didn't come out of the womb knowing how to do calculus. Like he had to learn some things because he took on a human mind. He took on human emotions. Listen, the God who made man was now experiencing what it felt like to be a man. Sad, he felt it. Lonely, abandoned, scared, needy. He felt it all now for the very first time. He learned what it felt like to live in a broken, dark world world the same way that you've experienced the brokenness and the darkness of this world. 
He felt it all. And here's the remarkable reality. When people saw Jesus, what did they see? They saw him as just a man, right? Matthew chapter 13, after Jesus finished his teaching, those around him asked, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Like, I'm, I'm, if things aren't adding up. I'm looking at this. This is just a man. This is just a Jewish man. And that's what he was. But there's something about this Jewish man that was unlike any other man. This Jewish man was sinless. The baby on that first Christmas grew to be a man who never committed a single sin in his lifetime. Now think about it. The God who made the angels, the God who judged those who rebelled against him, those angels, and cast them down to hell, now that God who has become man is, couldn't avoid being tempted by the evil one. He no longer could avoid being in conflict with evil. And in every one of those temptations, in every one of those conflicts, he would not sin one time. Hebrews 4 says, 1, 4.15, it says, One who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. God was this child. And it is essential that you believe this. And it is wonderful truth. It is a glorious truth. What is it? God becoming a man, it creates a perplexing mystery, the incarnation. But why is it? And this is where I want to zero in. God becoming man creates a pathway of hope. This is where I want to take the doctrine that's widely misunderstood, oftentimes left to intellectuals to discuss and debate. I want to bring it down into our very lives right now. This is the pathway of your hope. That's the Christmas message, hope. There's hope for broken humanity. When the son of God emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, hope busted through the story of broken humanity. God came to be one of us so that he could rescue us. In a world of immorality and injustice, in a world of violence and racism, in a, in a world of oppression and abuse, self-righteousness and greed, we all suffer from these problems, do we not? You and I have lived life in this broken world, in this dark world. We have experienced these problems, and the Bible says we're part of the problem. And none of us can remedy this problem. So where is there to turn? Look to the God who became one of us so that he could rescue us. This is the message of the incarnation. A pathway of hope appears. How often do we as Christians consider the implications of the incarnation? How often do we slow down and think about God became man? Like when you're weak and you feel like you just can't go another step, when you experience deep emotional pain, deep physical pain, when you receive news that just grieves you to the core of your being, do we slow down and stop and think God became one of us so that he could be with us and rescue us from this dark and broken world? 
Shouldn't you consider that reality more often? He's with us. He's one of us. Not in some fairy tale way, but in the real grimy struggle of your life. He's with you. He knows what you're going through. Hebrews 4 it says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold our confession, fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness. We don't have a high priest who looks at us and is like, I don't know what you're feeling right now. I'm not understanding it. He's able to sympathize with every single one of us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So what do we do? What do we do with this truth? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the truth of the incarnation. This is the Christmas message. I don't know if some of you have gone through, I'm guessing it's true in a, in a crowd this large. Some of us have been through really hard times. Deep, deep pain. We've gone through struggle that like we're not sure if we're going to be able to wake up the next day and put another foot forward. We're not sure how we can move forward in these challenges, in this hurt, in this grief, in this loss. And if you've been through something like that before, you're going to understand when I tell you at times I can be in a crowd of people who have not experienced that depth of pain. And I can feel lonely. I can be in a crowd full of people and I can feel like I'm not seen. Like they don't understand what I'm going through. But then if you meet someone who's gone through it, is it am I talking to anybody this morning? You, you've, you've met somebody who has gone through it. They've traveled the road that you're traveling. You get a sense that they know you that they know your pain, they know your struggle, and you no longer feel lonely, you feel seen. You feel known. And I wanna tell you today that Jesus is the ultimate reality of that friend. Jesus is the ultimate reality for you in that pain. You don't have to feel lonely around Jesus. He sympathizes with your weakness. And how does he do it? God took on human form. I was talking to a family this week who was in crisis mode for hours and hours on end. They just were at a point of crisis and they didn't, they didn't know how to move forward. And I just reminded them of this truth. He's with you. He knows what you're going through. He's not a distant savior. He's a near savior. He's with you. He knows, he sympathizes with every single emotion you're feeling right now. He's one of us. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. This is who Jesus is. And only in the incarnation does it teach that God knows us like this. Only in the incarnation that he has been through what we're going through, that he's able to sympathize with us 
that he's with us. God entering into our broken world by becoming a man and paving a way for you to be saved from your sin and for you to be saved to God for all of eternity. Will you think and ponder and consider these implications this season? Don't just rush through Christmas and stay surface level. Slow down. Slow down in your life and think deeply and consider all of the implications. He knows you. He personally knows your pain. He personally knows your hurt, your struggle. He's with you. He knows your struggle, your disappointment. He knows the battle that you're facing right now. And he will never leave you. He is right next to you now and forevermore. For those who have received him as Savior and Lord, he's one of us and he's with us. God becoming man creates a perplexing mystery. It creates a pathway of hope. And what I want to end on today is it creates a point of crisis, a point of crisis. And this is how I'm going to end today, okay? What do I mean by that? Well, the message of Christmas is the reality that God became a man so that we could be rescued. Our sinful, broken humanity could be rescued. And that presents in each of our lives a fork in the road. The message of the Christmas uh, season, what this represents, it, it is, becomes a fork in the road for every single one of us. It's a, it's a crisis point. It's a time when a difficult or important decision must be made. It's a decisive moment. And too many people will approach this Christmas season and find the story of Christmas warm and inspiring or important enough to tag it on your Christmas card. But if we really understand what the Christmas message is all about, it's going it's to create a decisive point in our life we'll have to make an important decision, the ultimate decision, will we receive him for who he is and what he's done for us, or will we reject him? God saves sinners. The most underrated truth in all of the world. This is the Christmas message. Not so that you could engage religiously whenever it feels comfortable with your schedule, so that you could see him for who he is and then center your entire existence around who he is and what he's done for you. This is who he is. God became man. God became man. And this is the story of Christmas. The Gospel of Matthew says it this way. An angel appeared to Joseph to tell him that the child had been born uh, uh, had been conceived in Mary was, was by the Holy Spirit and that they would, be, they would call him Jesus for he will what? Save his people from their sins. Not that he's gonna give you good life coaching where you can go back on Monday and apply some things to your life and things can kind of work a little bit better next week. No, so that he will save you from your sin. This is Luke chapter two. Angels appeared to the shepherds in the field of Bethlehem and declared, Fear not, for I behold, uh, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city David, what? A savior. A savior, not a consultant for your life. Your problems are so much deeper. Your problems are so much deeper. None of your remedies will ever fix them. 
only God, the God of the universe, becoming one of us so that he could bear our sin and bear the wrath through our sin to free us from this bondage. Only that remedy can, can, can be successful in your life. So John chapter 1, another gospel account, it says, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Will you receive him? I've done a fair amount of counseling over the past few weeks. And each time in a moment of pastoral counseling, I slow down the counseling and I look the individual in the eye and I ask the question, what does God want from you? Have you ever thought about that question? What does God want from you? Most of the time, people start rattling off things that they need to do for God. I gotta do this and I need to be this and I've gotta get involved here and I got and. And I slow him down. I say, friend, no. Do you want to know what God wants from you? That you would receive him. That you would receive him. And that you would spend all of eternity with him. This is a rescue mission that God is on. This is why God did this. Not so that you can do some things for him. So that you could be with him so that you could be with him. And when you're with him, you will do some crazy things for him. I will attest to that, okay? But you, the first and foremost, the ground of Christianity is he wants you. And he's paved a way to be with you. He's one of us so that he could rescue us from our sin. So will you or won't you look to Jesus as the eternal son of God who emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man? If he is who he said he is and he did what he said he did, there is no other option on the table other than bowing down at his feet and being part of his forever family. But you have to receive him by faith. And it's a shot at every single one of our prides when the God of the universe looks at you and says, you can never be enough, but I'll do it for you. Watch out, move out of the way. I'm gonna do this one for you. And he did it. And it paved a way for us to experience him for all of eternity. Will you this Christmas season receive the eternal, infinite, glorious God who became a man so that you could be with him for all of eternity. Can we pray together? And just in the stillness of this moment, I want to give each of us, myself included, a few moments just to respond to the preaching of God's word. This reality that God came and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He came to save us from our sin. He didn't come to be your life consultant. 
He didn't come to give you a few good ideas to possibly apply in tomorrow. He came to save you from your sin. And he did so by emptying himself and taking on the form of a servant, being born as a human baby. In this moment, if you have yet to receive Jesus by faith, what's stopping you, friend? Stop holding out hope that your remedies will fix your problems. They won't. Only God's remedy for your problems will ultimately fix your problems. Turn to him now in faith. For those of us who have trusted in Jesus, but you look up and you see your life is no longer centered on this great reality that God became a man to rescue us from our sin. Would you spend just a few moments prayerfully considering the implications for your life right now? Let's just spend a few moments in response to the preaching of God's word. Father, we come to you in this moment pleading for grace not to allow these moments to pass us by and not see real change in our life, not see real transforming power in our own hearts. Would you console us in the brokenness of this life, in the hurt, in the sadness, in the loneliness that you, God, took on human form and you're with us. Would you empower us to put one foot in front of the other in these difficult days, knowing that you sympathize with our weaknesses? And so we look to you in response. And as we sing this song of response, we're singing it to you, God, the very one who came to this earth and was born a baby, who grew to live a life of sinless perfection. And then at the end, in a stunning display of your love for us, you gave your life for us. Help us in this moment, God, not to miss what you're doing, not to hurry through it. Minister to us right now in the depths of our hearts. Minister to us. In Jesus' name we pray.